Well, good morning, Oakwood family. Good to be back with you this week after a short hiatus last week. Uh, I was on quarantine. Has, has anyone else had to do that? Is that like not the worst thing in the world? I, I had pretty direct exposure to somebody with the virus, so I had to uh, quarantine for like 14 days, and that was a very lonely experience, you know, to be away from uh, your spouse and, you know, trying to keep distance from your kids while still taking care of them. And man, it's just one of those things. And I just wanted to start this morning by saying thank you to Alan uh, Seibel for stepping in on very short notice. And just what a great staff we here, have here at Oakwood. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So let's give our staff a hand. Really do appreciate them. And it's been amazing because this year has been the year that we always talk about on staff as pivot. You know, pivot. And it's like, okay, we're going to, oh, pivot. Oh, we thought we were going to, we planned to do, uh, pivot. And so that's been one of those things. But uh, appreciate uh, the flexibility of everyone as we, uh, can, as we just continue to move the gospel forward and make the most of every opportunity that we have. And, and one of those opportunities we have just coming up in a couple of weeks is to be a light on a dark night, uh, on a night that's usually uh, celebrated in darkness, we want to be the light of Christ, and, and, and so we're offering an outdoor event. Uh, we have studied this. We have talked to health professionals about this. Uh, we know we can do this safely outdoors. I was encouraged this weekend. I was at a state volleyball tournament in Oklahoma City, and man, there's a lot of churches in Oklahoma City that I'm so happy about uh, in the in the Blanchard, Newcastle, Tuttle area, South Oklahoma City, Norman. I was driving by churches that were saying, "Hey, we're doing a." A fall festival on October 31st, you know, where it's going to be outside and we're going to do this and lift up Christ. And I was like, this is, this is a good thing, I think. I think uh, that a lot of families are going to be looking for something safe that they can do together. And so uh, we're doing outdoors and Alan's going to talk to you about ways to be involved with that later. But man, we just really want you uh, to cease the moment and cease the opportunity that we have. Uh, to uh, be able to reach out to our community and, and, and to just be a light, be a light to the world and be an encouragement. So uh, we're in a series called Dangerous Prayers. And just to remind you where we're at a couple weeks ago and where we're picking up today, a couple weeks ago we had talked about um, how Jesus had taught the disciples to pray. And in that he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about how that's a dangerous prayer for us to pray, that the God's will be done. But when we do that, how it, it realigns our life with His will, because that's supposed to be our desire. And as Christians, we are just a tiny piece of, of a glimpse into heaven for people that are here on earth and that are lost and far from, from God. And so this is our opportunity to pray, God, Your will be done in all these circumstances and all these situations in life, and all, even in the midst of a pandemic. God, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, show us your way, and we are going to walk in it. We're going to dive into a little bit deeper uh, prayer today as we uh, continue in this series. Now, I'm just, uh, just uh, curious this morning of how many of you uh, know what FOMO is. If you know what FOMO is, say, yeah. Okay, not very many. Okay, we'll, we'll take an explanation. Now, I thought about when I was, when I was talking about FOMO, I was actually thinking about uh, not explaining it to like the end and like everybody in suspense and be like, what? He never told us what it meant, you know, and for those, those people that are out there like, man, I have no idea what is FOMO. And you're like the whole service, you're distracted. Like, well, you know, Frank ought to make otters or, you know, I mean, you, you know, you sit there and you'd be like trying to make up something. So I'm going to give it to you right here at the very beginning because you probably have this fear of missing out, right? He's like, what does FOMO mean? That's what it means. Okay. 
FOMO means fear of missing out. There's actually a definition for this now because uh, it's a real thing. So look here on the screen. This is uh, the definition of FOMO. Looked it up online. FOMO is a pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding or fun experiences from which you miss out. That others are having fun or rewarding experiences and that you might miss out. And so it creates what we call FOMO, fear of missing out, fear of missing out. And it's a real thing. Now, this has probably been around forever. There, I mean, you probably experienced this. Some of you um, in the room that are maybe, maybe you're 50 or, or, or 60 or 70 or 80, maybe you experienced this in a different way in your generation. You know, maybe, maybe you found out when you got on the, the telephone, which was a landline with a cord, and I know some of you kids don't know what that means, but we'll explain it someday because you have FOMO now about a telephone cord. But anyway, if you got a cord to tell me, maybe you talked to someone and you found out that, that Sally went over here and they got together and they spent the night and you were left out and you had this fear of missing out. Or maybe you showed up to, to school the next day and you heard about all this fun that the band had last night and you weren't invited. Or, or maybe it's, you know, you know that Friday night there's a bunch of people that are going to go over here and do this and you're like, man, I have this fear of missing out. But I think it's even more amplified today, if we're being honest, because today we have social media and the internet. And so you can find out instantaneously what your friends are doing and what you're missing out on. And it's actually become this thing that a lot of people struggle with FOMO. They struggle with this fear of missing out on things in life. And it becomes a thing and it can make people go into like depression and all kinds of things. It stirs up all kinds of feelings that people have to you know, deal with and unpack. And, and, and so we have this fear of missing out on something that's rewarding or exciting in life, right? That we, we get online, we see this person, oh man, look at where they traveled, look at all the fun things they're doing, and they're getting this fun life, and you know, I'm over here, and I've got to work, or we don't have the money to do that, and, and it can just stir up a lot, a lot of feelings, and sometimes those are positive things, and sometimes they're negative things, but I think it's in our face a lot more today than it used to be. Now, I wonder this, if you have ever experienced a condition that I call spiritual FOMO, spiritual FOMO, think about it. You see someone who is growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you see this person and you can just tell they are on, what would we call them? On fire, right? They are on fire for God. And it's like, what are they doing? It's like their attitude has changed. Their marriage, they're so cute together now because they love each other so much. Their kids are not little toots anymore. They are nice kids and you know and they were talking the other day about how they're just accomplishing this and they got out of debt i mean of all the things they got out of debt and you know you're hearing all these things and their walk with the lord is so rich and, and now now the, can you believe they're leading the bible study and they got like 10 people in their group and and and, and now they're leading this ministry team and they're, they're doing all these service projects and they're making a difference for the kingdom and did you see two weeks ago he baptized his co-worker I mean, come on, it's spiritual FOMO and there's this fear of missing out. What do they have that I don't have? What is missing in life? Because I, I, you know, they're so excited about God and His kingdom and the church and ministry and what God's doing in their lives, and I feel like I'm missing out. I think, if we're honest, we probably experience that sometime in our life. I mean, if you love Jesus at all and you've been around His church at all, you see people that are experiencing this rich relationship with the Lord, and yet you're like, I feel stale. I mean, these people act like they're really going somewhere, and I feel like, man, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. What is wrong here? And I wonder if sometimes if we experience this spiritual FOMO, if it would lead us to take another step toward Jesus Christ. 
And I think one of the ways that we can grow in Jesus Christ, and it's the age-old things that you've heard about if you've been a part of God's family for a long time. You've heard, how do you grow in the Lord? You do it in the Word, and you do it in prayer. And as we're talking in this series about dangerous prayers, one of the things that we're talking about is really challenging us to pray in ways that we don't normally pray. Because a lot of times, we don't pray, God, your will be done. We say, my will be done. Let me tell you what I want, God. And we give him our list of wants and you know, all of our desires. And, and so we're going to be talking about some ways that really challenge us to pray. And I think it's going to help us grow into a, a, an ever more deeper walk with him. And so I want you to grab your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm, the book of Psalms, right in the middle of the Bible. It's in the, in the kind of in the, the you know, your, if your Bible just falls open to the middle, you're probably going to end up somewhere around Psalms. It might be a little bit to your left. It's in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at Psalm chapter 139, and you can follow along in your Bible, you can grab the Bible that's there in front of you. Um, hopefully if you're at home, you're, you're uh, watching, you've got your Bible in your lap, or maybe you can grab your phone or your tablet, download the Oakwood app, and get the sermon notes there. It's got all the sermon notes and all the scriptures there, there for you, but uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 139, we're going to begin with verse 1 there. And, you know, I think deep down inside of all of us, we kind of have FOMO, spiritual FOMO, because we want to have a deep relationship with God. We want to have the spiritual connection with the Almighty. And sometimes we see other people have it, and we're like, why can't I have that? You know, what am I missing out on here? And I think this, this prayer that we're going to learn about today is one that maybe you can experience this deeper walk with God. It's going to draw you into His presence. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is uh, written by David. And if you know the, the name of David from the uh, Old Testament, uh, you know the story of David. This is uh, David and Goliath. Uh, same, David, same David that was the king. Same David that uh, Saul, King Saul was chasing him around. He was hiding in caves after he'd become popular because Saul was jealous of David. And so uh, this character of the Old Testament who later becomes a king, who's in the lineage uh, that leads to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world uh, through Mary and through Joseph. Um, this, this is who wrote this psalm. And Psalm 139 is a very contemplative psalm, and there's, there's this nuance in it that we're going to study when we get to the end. And so I just want you to soak it in as, as I read this and as you follow along this morning. Just soak in the Scripture. Let the Word speak to your heart and to your mind this morning. Psalm 139, verse 1. And look how he starts it out. He says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. So much so, look at verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You see, he's speaking to the sovereignty of God here, that God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. It's like, woo, a little, little, little scary there, isn't it, to consider that God knows the depth of us. And then look at verse 5. It says, You hem me in and behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Verse 7, Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold 
me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will, will hide me and the light become as night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you because God is so bright because he's so good. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you understand? He is talking about the depth that God knows us. And what blows me away is when you get into 15 and 16 there, that God's eyes saw my unformed body. It's talking about the moment of conception when life begins. And that even at that moment, you saw, you, your eyes saw my unformed body before I even looked like a baby at all. You saw those cells coming together, my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book. That from that moment of conception, that God knew the plan for that life. Isn't that amazing? That God knows the number of days. And the script, this is all over Scripture. It's just not in Psalm 139. This is all throughout Scripture, the sovereignty of God, and that God numbers our days, and He knows how many days we have. And He does it even here at the beginning. It's so intimate. He, and it says, all those days were written in your book. Before one of them even came to be, before I was even born and took my first breath, that life that was inside of that mother is like God ordained that, and He was over that. It's this intimacy that God has with us. Now I want you to go down to the end of the psalm. And look at the interesting way that David ends this passage. In verse 23, he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. Now, I've had a couple weeks to think about this message and to look at the Scripture and to study it and uh, to read commentaries and, and look at study tools and look at, look at Hebrew words and, and all of this. And it's just kind of amazing how it ends because it, it, it struck me about probably the tenth time I read the passage. Why does he end it that way? Do you remember what it said in verse 1? What does it say in verse 1? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Past tense. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. It's a statement, right? You have searched me and you know me. And we get to verse 23 and then David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Like it's a request. Wait a second. You just said you have searched me, Lord, and you do know me. And now you're saying, hey, God, search me and know me. But as I studied it and read it more and more, I was like, what is David really asking for here? What is 23... And 24, really, all about. When he says, search me, God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And then, what does it mean at the very end when he says, and lead me in your way everlasting? You see, I think what David's actually asking for from God here is, Lord, search me and know my heart so that I can know my heart. Because the fact is here is we think we know ourselves but sometimes I don't think that we actually do. I think we have a perception of ourselves, but I don't know that we actually 
know ourselves. It's interesting because scholars call Psalm 139, they call it the prayer of examination. And let's be honest, this is not a prayer that most of us pray often, is it? I mean, when was the last time, let's be honest, when was the last time you said, hey, search me, O God, and know my heart, and then show me all the offensive ways that are in there so that I can walk in your way, so I, and lead me in your way everlasting? When was the last time our prayers <laughs> were headed that direction? and headed to that depth, that we would cry out to God and we would pray a prayer that says, hey, God, search me and know my heart. Because I think we have sometimes this high view of ourselves. We view ourselves as, as higher than we should. And, and let's be honest this morning, I think this makes us uncomfortable most often because we don't like to be searched. We don't like to be examined I mean, you use the word examination and two things come to mind. The first thing is a test, right? Those of you that are in school or college or maybe you take examinations in your workplace, you know, once a year or something, you have to recertify and you take an examination. It's like that is not have a positive connotation. It's like, I love to take exams, you know? It's like, no. The second way that that word is often used is an examination like when you go to the doctor, okay? Who likes to go to the doctor to be examined? I'm having a problem, doctor. Well, let me do a what? A full examination. No one goes to the doctor and be like, yes, I get an examination today. So excited about that. I'm so pumped, dude. Are you getting your examination? I'm going to the doctor. I'm getting an exam. No one, no one likes to be examined. And yet that's what we're asking for here when we ask God to search me. Search me, God. You don't like to be searched. I mean, be honest this morning. You don't like to be searched online. You think I kind of, I mean, it's kind of creepy what you can find out about people online. Now, remember, everything that's online doesn't mean that it's true, okay? So, uh, but, you know, they, they said that about, I don't remember, 10 or 15 years ago. They said, you should go look at your profile online and you should Google yourself. Google just your name and, and your, you know, your city or your county or your state and just see what comes up. And yeah, it's amazing how much information out there is about you. And it kind of creeps us out. We're kind of like, I don't want to be searched. You know, and I thought about this when it comes to airport, airport security, right? You don't want to be searched. I remember uh, flying for uh, the first few times after 9-11 had happened, and, and it had been years actually since I had flown, um, and, and going through security for the first time. And that was, that was an amazing process, you know, because you used to just walk through and, and go on your way. And now it's like, all right, you need to take off your shoes, Okay, you need to have your, take, if you've got a phone on you, if you've got your keys, you know, put all that in this little thing here. We're going to run it through this conveyor belt and your bag and your carry-on. I mean, I got flagged for having too much shampoo. I mean, dangerous, dangerous, too much shampoo, big bottle of it, you know. They threw it away, too. I mean, I couldn't do anything. I had to leave it at the gate and go or go to my conference or, you know, so I just stunk all week. <laughs> but No, just kidding. Uh, but, but no, it, it, I mean, you know, you have, you know, different things that you had to go through. And I remember I went through the thing and it beeped. I'm like, sir, you know, step back. And I'm like, step back. Okay, sir, you know, I'll step through this security thing in. So I stepped through and it beeps again. He's like, sir, do you have anything metal on your body? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, I, you know, my belt has a bottle. Oh, yeah, you need to take off your belt. And you put that on a conveyor. I was like, okay. And the line's, you know, forming behind you and you're kind of nervous, you know, like, okay. So you're, you, get, you take your belt off now, and you're like, okay, please, Lord, just let me get through the security. And you walk through, and guess what? It beeped again. And then he, she said, step back, do it again. So I stepped through, beep, beeped again. And so then what happens? You, you, you go into quarantine, basically, right? You get sequestered. They say, go over there with that guy. 
And guess what? You get searched even more. You know, and he gets the little wand out, and he's going all over your body. by metal plates in your body, and things with surgeries, and, you know, and he's like, I broke my femur, and I've had some surgeries, but, you know, I, I just, you know, he's going all over, and he can't get anything to be, but then finally, I couldn't remember this when I was telling this first service, but I finally remember what it was. It was my glasses. I guess I had so much metal in my glasses in the, in the pair that I was wearing at that time. But he couldn't get the thing to beep. You know, he's going all over. He was staying like this. And, you know, and you just feel kind of almost like a little bit violated, you know? It's like, search me, right? Yeah, we love examination. We love to be searched. And yet, we see this model throughout Scripture. And not just here with David in the Old Testament, but even the apostles. Even ones like the Apostle Paul. That it seems like they crowd to God and they say, God, search me and see if there's any offensiveness in me, and lead me in your way everlasting. Because there's this depth that comes when you understand how God sees you and you invite him to examine you as you would allow your doctor to do because he knows our hearts better than anything. You saw in 139, in those first you know, 16 verses there, all of the ways that God is sovereign and all the ways that He knows us and, and how He was even a, uh, the, uh, the process of conception and, and before we even have, we have a formless body, even at that point, God has numbered our days. He knows our life. It's amazing, isn't it? The depth of the knowledge of God and how He knows us. I want to share with you this morning uh, four things that when you pray a dangerous prayer and you have the courage to pray, to pray, search me, some things that God may do in your life. And the first one is this. If you have the courage to pray, search me, God may convict you. He may put a Holy Spirit conviction on your life. Now, this is different than condemnation. He's not there to condemn. He offers you hope. He offers you salvation. He offers you deliverance. But it starts out with this conviction because God knows us so intimately. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and He knows us in a deeper way than we think we know ourselves. And if you think about that, it's hard for us to fathom this because we're thinking in our minds, no, no one knows me like I know me because I'm me, right? But God does. And Scripture proves it over and over and over again. And we read, we read in Psalm 139 that even before we speak a word, He knows what we're going to say. He knows our thoughts. You're not going to hide your thoughts from Him. People try to hide their sin from God. Even your thought life is laid out before the Lord God Almighty, and He convicts you. And what happens when, when this happens, when we pray, search me, God, and He brings conviction to us, is He may make known to us unknown sin. Or maybe, if we're being honest, maybe it's known sin that we've been trying to ignore, that we've been trying to sweep under the rug. The sin that you like to stuff down deep and hide it. The sin that you think no one else sees except for God Almighty Himself because He knows everything. The sin that you try to justify. Well, I deserve that, or I can do that, or, you know, because of my freedom in Christ, you know, oh, there will be forgiveness for that. Or, you know, uh, I deserve this. You know, I need to go. You know, sometimes I just got to do some things for myself. And, and all of those justifications we do of the choices that are in our life. And when we pray for God to search us, it takes us to this deeper place with God. Because we're, it's an invitation for Him to show any offensive way in us, as David prayed. Show me any offensive way. When was the last time you said, God, search me, and show me any offensive way? 
We see we think our hearts are good. We think our life is good. And, and yet we pale in comparison to how we need to be in Christ Jesus and the holiness that God wants for His people. But if you pray this dangerous prayer to search me, God may convict you. The second thing is that God may correct and redirect your life. He may correct and redirect your life. Oftentimes we find that as we're moving through life, we're moving in the wrong direction. And it comes to this point where we need to turn, we need to make a U-turn, and we need to go God's way. And this is illustrated beautifully in the word repentance. I remember uh, growing up and hearing the word repent. You know, it's like, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and turn to God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. You know, reading passages and hearing that word, I thought repent meant to feel sorry about your sins. Like, that's where, I, that's where I thought repentance was. I thought repentance was a moment where you feel really convicted of your sin and, and you feel really bad about it. Maybe you even shed tears, you know, you get emotionally moved about it. You're crying and you're, you're praying, you're crying out to God, but that's not actually what the word means. The word means literally to change your mind. So if I said to you, repent, then I'm saying to you, change your mind. And it's not just like to change your mind, like to get a different thought process. It's actually to change your mind's direction, to change the directional flow of thinking. It gives us this idea in Scripture that if we're going this way, and this is the way of the world, and this is the way of sinfulness, and the way of man's choices for himself, that we are going this way. And if we repent, that we actually turn back, we turn away from sin, we turn away from that direction of life, and we go a new direction toward God. And so repentance actually has to do with a change in our mind's direction, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. And let me tell you, when you open yourself up to God's conviction, and then you open yourself up to actually correction and redirection of your life, amazing things will happen, and you will be changed. You'll be changed. And some of you, I know that's your desire this morning. You're like, yes. Yes, I want a better version of me. I want a godly version of me. I want a Christ-like version of me. I, I, I want you know, Jesus and his spirit to just be kind of oozing out of me that everybody that comes into contact with me just feels like they just got loved on by God. You know, I, I, I want to have this conviction in my life of the way I talk and the way I treat people and the way I communicate and the words I use and, and, and the generosity that I practice and all of these things. I, I want to see Christ grown up in me. And I don't want to have spiritual FOMO about everyone else that's growing in Christ, and I'm not, and I'm feeling stagnant over here, and I see these spiritual giants in my life, and I'm like, wow, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could teach the Bible to people someday, and I wish I could pray for people in my small group, and I wish I could lead a ministry team, and I wish I could, yes, you can in Christ. But it starts with a dangerous prayer. It says, search me. Search me, find those offensive ways in me, and lead me in your way everlasting. When we pray that prayer, God may convict you. When you have the courage to pray, search me, God may correct and redirect your life. But here's uh, some cool end results of that. If you have the courage to pray, search me, God may just change the way you see yourself. Because as I mentioned a little bit earlier, as we see ourselves as a lot better than what we actually are. We, we try to ignore the corruption. We, we, we look at ourselves and we try to think of the best version of us. And even if you're a person that maybe struggles with depression or self-image or any of those things, we still, believe it or not, still have a higher view of ourselves than we probably should. We're a little bit easier on ourselves than we probably should be. 
And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Lord, um, His ways are higher and better than ours. And so uh, we might be meeting our standard, but we may not be meeting the Lord's standard. You know, you know what I mean? You ever feel that in your life? You ever feel like, oh, 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 yeah. A lot of times we do something I call the comparison trap. And as long as I'm better than them, then I feel good about me, right? It's like, yeah, well, hey, man, well, he steals and he cusses. And I don't do that stuff, so I feel good about where I'm at in the faith. And yeah, there's still so much corruption in, in our heart. You know, I, I hate that line. You ever hear, hear someone say, oh, follow, follow your heart. You know, it's, it's, it's really selfish, too. But it's like, just follow your heart. Well, I have this decision to make, and I don't know if I'm going to do this or if I'm going to do that. And people always give advice. Oh, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Your, your heart is corrupt. Your heart runs after things of this world. And Scripture talks about this. It says that the, the heart is corrupt. Don't follow your heart. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. If you're in the book of Psalms, um, in your Bible, just turn over to the right, uh, just, just a, a couple books there. You'll find the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning with verse 5, uh, he kind of paints this picture of what the human heart is like and God's in, intervention in it. Uh, I just want to share it with you. Jeremiah chapter uh, 17, verse 5. And this is what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. In man's vision for himself, you know, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That you just focused on you and your strength and what man can do, you know. Cursed is the one who trusts man, who draws strength from mere flesh, doesn't call upon God, doesn't call upon His Spirit or anything like that, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And then listen in verse six. It says that person will be like a bush in the wastelands; they will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. No one can live because of the salt in the earth. It's like this parched place, and some of you are like, man, I feel like I'm there. Some of you are like, I feel like I'm there today, and I've been there for like a year. Some of you are like, I feel like, yeah, that's me for like five years. Look at the next verse, verse 7. It says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him, not in man. Not on what you can do or produce for yourself, but in the Lord and what you do for Him. And look at verse 8. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And you ask, you read that, that verse 8 and you say, why? You know, why? Why, do, why doesn't it fear and why, why does it prosper even when there's a drought? It's because its roots are rooted by the streams of water. The imagery for us as Christians is that we're to be rooted in the streams of life and the life flow that comes from God and comes from our relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 9. Because here's the warning from the prophet. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? He's talking about the pursuits we have of life, that our heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? And then look at verse 10. It says, I, the Lord, search and examine. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. You see, God is the righteous judge. He knows right and wrong. He knows everything about us. 
we, we've read Scripture today that, that shows the examination of the Lord that can happen. And yet, he says here that our hearts are deceitful. And it leads us to this point, kind of like when the Apostle Paul cried out. He said, you know, who can save me from this life of sin? And he said, what a wretch of a man I am. What a wretch of a man I am. Who can save me from this life of sin? And then he goes on in that next verse in Romans, and he says, praise be to our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's only by His grace and His forgiveness and His mercy that we can live the life that we're called to live. And how does it start? It starts by planting ourselves and being rooted in Christ Jesus. And it's amazing how you may have this certain view of yourself and how that changes when you would pray a prayer like, search me, O God. It changes the way you see yourself, but that's not just it. It enables you to know yourself on a different level. I mean, I think that's what David was crying out for. God, search my heart so I can know my heart, so I can know the real me, and show me those offensive ways, even the ones that I don't think are that offensive to you that I do anyway, and I'm still caught in this sin pattern. Even those little things, even just those attitudes, they don't even come out of my mouth. They don't even come out in my actions, but it's just an attitude in my mind. Maybe it's just this snarky comment or this sarcasm, or maybe it's just constantly just being negative about people in your life. But whatever it is, God, show me those offensive ways in me. And when you do that, it changes the way that you see yourself. And that awareness can bring repentance. And that repentance can bring faith. And that faith can bring redemption. And God can redeem that in your life. And the fourth thing, and this is the, this is the coolest thing and the fun thing too, if you have the courage to pray, search me, then God may change how others see you. And we can say, well, I don't really care how others see you. Yeah, you do. Deep down inside, we crave acceptance. And you see it, and, and you know, the, the, the best illustrations of that is always, you know, in school. We, you know, it's like, oh yeah, the the cliques in school and this and that. It's all about just we crave acceptance. It doesn't matter what we do. It could be a craving acceptance on your soccer team, craving acceptance in your church. But we're people that we crave acceptance from others. And it's amazing. If you open yourself up to allow to be searched, God points out the offensive ways and you allow the Holy Spirit of God to do His work in you. This is amazing because people will notice the change. They notice the changed life. I remember hearing from uh, one of the, the men here in our church who was at work, and he just got convicted. He'd been a Christian, but he hadn't been walking with the Lord, you know, and, and he'd been really struggling. And I remember he shared with me one time how he just got convicted and decided he was going to change, and he, so he changed his attitude and his actions at work. And he's like, I'm not going to use the language that the other guys use at work anymore. I'm not going to tell the jokes or, or do the coarse joking anymore. Um, I'm going to try to be loving to them and be respectful of them as people. And to just love on them and, and to show them a care, to genuine care and mercy. And, and I'm just going to try to be, you know, he was, uh, he was a boss that was over some people. I'm just going to try to be the best boss I can be and just, just really show them the love of Jesus Christ. And, and he said within just like a couple of months that, that one time one of the guys like pulled him in. He was in his office. He pulled in. He shut the door behind him. He said, dude, what has gotten into you? You're like a totally different person. What happened? And he was able to share his testimony with them. And that guy actually came to, came to church. You know, it's amazing is how it will change the way that other people see you because of the change that God is working in your life. And God may reveal to you that your heart is corrupt. 
and that there is even more that you need to surrender to him, but people will notice that change in your life. And I want to encourage you this morning by ending with these thoughts. God has all the power he needs to work redemption in your life. He has all the power he needs to change your life. He has the power to change your eternal destination through the blood of his son, Jesus. And the Bible plainly states, if you'll just turn to God, if you'll repent of your sins and and, and put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you'll be obedient to Christ, if you'll be baptized into Christ Jesus, if you will walk in his ways and pursue holiness, pursue that relationship with God, pursue the love of God in your life, pursue who God really is, intends you to be as a Christ follower and as a redeemed child of the King of the universe. It's amazing because it starts, I think, with a prayer. When you pray, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting forever. Do you have the courage to pray and ask God to search you? As we respond to this this morning, we're going to take uh, communion. And hopefully you got those elements as you came in. And if you're online with us, you can grab those elements now. How we respond to this is really kind of interesting because as I contemplated this more, I thought, wow. Need some time with the Lord. We take communion and we take the bread that represents Jesus' body as a sacrifice for us. We take the cup that represents his, his blood. And Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes about taking communion and this holy Lord's Supper that we celebrate together. And believers were doing it all throughout the New Testament after Jesus established it in the upper room with the disciples. And what's amazing is, guess what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? I think it's down around verse 23 or 28, somewhere in there. He says, before someone should take of the bread and take of the cup, it says, that a person ought to examine themselves as to not take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Whoa. So before we take the bread and the cup, we should examine ourselves. What do you think that examination is about? I think it's about a prayer that says, search me, God, and show me if there's any offensiveness in me. What did I say this week? that didn't honor you? How did I treat my friend or my family member, my spouse? God, bring about that Holy Spirit conviction in my life and show me those offensive ways so I can, and what does the Bible tell us to do? It says to confess your sins. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and, he doesn't say I'm just going to forgive your sins, and to purify you from all unrighteousness. How would you like to feel pure? Confess your sins to God. And that's what I want us to do as we take these emblems this morning. 
as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, and Jesus said to take this bread and take this cup and do this in remembrance of me. And Paul says, so a man ought to examine himself so that he doesn't take of this holy communion in an unworthy manner. We've got to lay it all out. We have to say, Lord, search me and know my heart. and Help me to know my own heart so I can allow the work to begin, the change, the resurrection, the redemption in my life. Let's pray, and then we'll take communion. Lord God, I just pray these next few minutes that we can cry out as your church, as your church family, Lord, search me and know my heart. That each one of us can just pray, God, search me and know my heart. Show me the offensive ways in me. Lead me in your way everlasting. God, that we can remember your sacrifice that we would not take it for granted by continuing to sin. But God, we would show you our great love by obeying your commands and living our lives for you. God, I pray in these next few moments, it's a time of rededication. It's a time of contemplation. It's a time we gather around the table. We look you in the eye through these elements. And we say, search me, O oh God. And know my heart. And God, that you remind us of the grace and salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus. God, we just dedicate these next few moments to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take communion now and remember the sacrifice of Jesus?